In this digital first world, the old ways of recruiting are becoming obsolete. Or are they? The talent demands on every business has put TA squarely in the hot seat. Welcome to Talent Acquisition in the Trenches, a real dialogue podcast with talent acquisition pros closest to the front line. We want to talk to our peers who are actually doing the heavy lifting day in and day out. You're going to learn what their biggest challenges are and how they're being solved. I'm your host, Matt Reimer, and I'm here to talk about TA. I've been in TA for over 20 years, and what I know is that I don't know. I'm here to listen and learn just like you. No scripts, just real dialogue. Talent Acquisition in the Trenches is powered by NACR, the preeminent association for healthcare recruitment professionals focused on education, networking, and providing resources to enable our members to become strategic business partners in the ever-changing healthcare environment. My friends call me Reimer, so friends, let's create some new riffs with Reimer. Thanks for trenching in. Today's guest is Colin Lyle. Colin is the Systems Director of TA for Advent Health. Advent Health is based in Orlando and is one of the nation's largest faith-based nonprofit health systems with over 90,000 employees across seven states. Their TA shop is busy with over 30,000 hires annually and just over 10,000 openings at the present moment. He's been at Advent for the last seven years and prior to that, he had stops in staffing. He's a former aerotecher and in manufacturing. For the last five years, he's been leading the deployment of a shared services model at Advent. So we have a ton to unpack here today. Colin, welcome to the show. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate you having me today. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about this conversation and looking forward to it for, for some time. I know we've uh, got some mutual friends uh, in the industry, and I know you and I have just started to interact here a, a little bit over the last few months. And so let's, let's get right to some meat. Um, and so, um, you know, we, we've talked, uh, you know, in the past, and I, and I know you're big on, you know, the lean, you know, recruitment process. And, and so you really get focused in on that. Um, I, I'm curious about how you get alignment with your business uh, on the demand schedule, right? And, and so, like, you know, you get that lean, you know, lean process moving. How do you get up front? Um, and this is a question I'm getting asked over and over again from from industry folks. How do you get alignment on what demand is coming at you from the business? Well, workforce planning and labor demand models have really been a evolving model for us at Advent Health. I will say that. Through the, through the maturity process and in in my almost seven years here to where we're at today and still finalizing our labor demand for 2023, you know, there's a lot of goal setting around, well, what do we think next year's going to look like from a turnover and retention standpoint? So there's mm -hmm. buckets, right? So each group, we're going to work heavily with HR on retention turnover initiatives and how we want to impact that number. Look at benchmarks look at historical trends and data and say, let's pick a, let's draw a line in the sand say, realistically, this is where we want our retention and turnover to be. Mm -hmm. So now it's going to give me all my replacement headcounts. Mm -hmm. Now we'll look at business development, executive teams on what capital growth is going to come. So what sectors of the business, is it our acute space? Is it our post-acute space? Is it home health hospice away, you know, our outpatient settings? What do we think our growth trends are going to look like and what's on the docket already that we know things are being built um, for 2023? What's our growth plan mm -hmm. going to look like? And then let's talk about some goals for contingent labor, uh, talk about premium labor spends. Where's our overtime costs? Where's our premium labor shift incentives, our PRN, our internal agency, our external agency? 
realistically, again, where do we want those numbers to be? Do we want mm-hmm. to see a 10% reduction, a 20% reduction, a 30% reduction? How many FTEs is that going to equate for? So, you know, you work with several different key stakeholders within the business, HR, clinical, mm-hmm. executive, shared services, talent acquisition, um, as a group, as a collective to say, we collectively can agree on these targets based mm-hmm. on some of those criteria to say it's a joint venture and it's a you know joint ownership to say staffing, retention, headcount, people, business is going to be not just talent owned, not just local HR owned, but it's a collective and it's one, you know, one team's focus. So those are some of the key stakeholders and some of the key, key groups that we work with yeah. to look at what that labor demand needs to, needs to be next year. So if it's just you on your own, trying to build your own model, it's not going to work. You need to get yeah. all those teams together to collaborate and then collectively feel good about the decision you're going to make for the new year. Yeah. So set the, set, you know, collaborate, set it with the business. Now, now once it gets set, you know, do you, and, and, and I know Advent has, um, you know, just a ton of data sophistication in the, in the TA shop. Now, do you load actual hiring forecasts or hiring goals uh, for the organization to where like, hey, you know, this year we know we need to hire X amount of nursings to meet nursing, you know, from an outside source or whatever to meet the demand of the business. Do you you guys go take it that far? Yeah, we take it. We take it that far and even a little further in a few different in a few different ways. So nursing is a great example. And that's a that's that's a critical area for most Mm -hmm. acute care health systems. Right. So we're talking about nursing. So we'll look at, yes, future forecasting model month by month. So here's your annual date and we don't. Mm-hmm. So so here's your number annually for 2023. And we're we're finalized in, in most of our exercises now. So I can speak, speak intelligently to it. Say, OK, here's your number. Mm-hmm. Now it's not split up evenly. You know, divide that number by 12 and here's yeah, right. your goal by month. Now it's even more detailed to say, well, here's where we see seasonality in hiring. Here's mm-hmm. where we'll look at historical trends, say, where have we been over the last three years in these mm-hmm. models. Some of our states, say Florida, you'll see, you know, which is about 70% of our business, you'll see snowbirds and, you know, a Q4 influx of census. So we're mm-hmm. going to need to be hiring heavy in, in these months. If you look at heavy nurse residency, graduate nursing programs, where are those graduation dates? Where are mm-hmm. you going to see those spikes in the spring, in the summer, in the fall? So you can build out really, here's this number annualized, but now what is that realistic target by month? Hmm. The next step for us, and you know, some models may be you know mature in their journey to, to get to this phase, but now it's not just nurses, it's a, it's subsets of that. Mm-hmm. So I have your experienced tenured nursing criteria, then you have your nurse residency, your graduate nursing programs, then we have our international programs and cohorts. What are we forecasting for international? And then we have our transition to acute care training programs that are also cohort models that I can look at that month to month spikes based on here's the cohorts for internationals. Here's Mm -hmm. the cohorts for nurse residency. Mm -hmm. Here's the cohorts for my transition to acute care programs. And then every, you know, orientation date for your experienced staff. So we'll break it down month to month, season by season, and by those four buckets and modalities just for nursing Mm -hmm. to say, this is the need and this is the percentage we're going to forecast overall that I need 40% here, 20% here, 20% here for each one of those sections to be able to hit our annual target. So um, it's fairly mature in the model. We weren't there three yeah. years ago. We weren't there five years ago, yeah. but that's the steps that we've taken in, in our journey so far. Yeah. Was it, was that like in your journey, was that one of the, um, 
you know, I, I guess as you as you step through building out a, a COE, is that something that, you know, that, that demand planning and the education around that and the rigor around that, you know, the, 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 the amount of time and energy, is that something that came in midway through or is that something that's just happening here in the kind of later stages of, of the maturation of your COE? Yeah, the model I just explained is fairly new. I mean, I'll say we've done it the best we've ever done it this year in real time nice. in the last two in the last two three months, right? Mm-hmm. So, in prior years, you know, you mentioned that like COE model, and that's yeah. kind of how it was, yeah. and it was this dictation from the COE or from our talent planning say, well, here's the demand, hmm. and there wasn't that collaboration mm-hmm. and interface with the business. And then slowly you're over learning through those experiences. So, well, let's get involved with the business. And now we're talking heavily with clinical leaders the following year. Okay. Yeah. A better partnership, but still room for tweaks. Then the next year we're like, let's bring finance mm-hmm. into this. Mm-hmm. Okay. We need finance in at the table here too. So now we got clinical and finance and the COE. Yeah. And that's the, that's the journey that we've gone on over the last several years. So if it's sometimes hard to just go from, yeah. you know, from zero to a hundred. And that was kind of our, our track. But if I'm making a recommendation, you know, to, to other listeners, you know, on the podcast, it's yes, you have to have clinical, you have to have executive, yeah. you have to have finance, you have to have HR, you have to have all those teams working together in collaboration mm-hmm. to be able to get what I feel is the most realistic number and the number you can buy into mm-hmm. that you don't have to resell to somebody else. You've all built it together. So there is no sell on, you know, the numbers and the data you know, it's a, it's a collaborative effort. So yeah. that's where, you know, we feel more comfortable, I think, going into 2023 than we ever have as a collective saying, yes, us as one team, we feel this is a realistic target number. And here are also not forgetting, here's the number, but how the hell are you going to go do that? Yeah, and especially yeah. size and scope. Well, I hired over 30,000 people this year. Do I need to do that again? Do I need to increase that by 10%, 15%? What are those correlating strategies? Yeah that are going to allow you to meet that demand. Um, and that's where a lot of the talent and talent strategy, talent acquisition, talent planning groups um, come in to say, this is where, you know, we're going to put our money where our mouth is to get yeah. these targets. So, so that, that's an interesting point. You know, you, you get this demand, you get the business buying in on it. Um, is, is it then a hard crosswalk to get the talent that you need? Like, Hey, listen, like, you know, you're saying, you know, you need 2000 of these and for me to, you know, uh, generate, 2000 of these, I need X amount of, uh, you know, talent flowing through my funnel and I need X amount of humans to, to, to staff that. Is that a hard crosswalk to do, or does that flow pretty naturally out of that demand planning uh, conversation? You know, I'll say it it could be difficult for some organizations and Mm. expect it to. So Mm. listeners, you know, put your expectations that it's not easy the first time you've done it, if you Mm. haven't done it regularly. And even Mm. for, you know, our organization, you know, it's still has taken time over the years to become more more comfortable with that. So it's here's this number, here are recommendations, how you're gonna do it, here's your bucketed strategies, but then it's like it's cost and it's mm-hmm. it's budget allocation. Say, okay, well, in our model from a shared services standpoint, you know, we will allocate and request budget from each facility, each region, each division to say, here's your investment into the talent function for branding, for recruitment, marketing, talent attraction, whatever that might be. Um, and so we might say, in order to do this, if this mm-hmm. is your number, here's what we feel that's going to cost, mm. right? So now we have this kind of this negotiation, if you will, to say, okay, great. This is what we feel the number. Here's what we feel the budget we've allocated. 
we can let, let's let's massage this in a way that we can both feel comfortable. Yes, financially, um, it's affordable, and from a labor demand standpoint, it's going to get us staffed, you know, to the capability that we need to. So, um, it's taken time to yeah. get there uh, to that crosswalk, and I think when you look, it makes it a little bit easier for us now to really break out those buckets. I think when I give that nursing example between international or training or experience yeah. or nurse residents. What percentages can you commit to? That might mm -hmm. help back in to those numbers to say, is it easier to find talent for one of those groups than the other? Mm -hmm. Can I increase this percentage of that talent pool by X, which is going to make my more difficult positions? I can lower that by 5 10% because yeah. I know this is going to be a more viable option. And facilities do have the capacity and capability to handle that. Mm -hmm. You know, so those are the level of discussions you have as you start building out that strategic platform of how are you going to achieve that labor demand model. So it's going to take some time and you're going to break some things and you're going to say, yeah, it didn't go right. And that's okay. Um, yeah. You know, because that's the journey we've been in and it takes time. Definitely going to break some things here. Uh, that, that is uh, inevitable as, uh, as, as you kind of build out and especially in, in healthcare today. I think one of the, the things that you had just mentioned and it's something that we're working on right now is, um, you know, uh, splitting out those, um, you know, kind of sources, if you will, and, and getting more uh, education and clarity around what source is going to produce what, right? And so like, you know, maybe five, six years ago, we weren't as conversant on, hey, listen, uh, you know, the, the organic application flow that is pumping into our organization, um, you know, either is or isn't going to supply all of these fills that we need to create in, in, in 2023. Uh, you know, one of the, the, the trends that, that is becoming very apparent, especially in healthcare, is that, you know, unique organic applicant flow is being um, cut in some cases in half. Um, you know, I, I've, I've seen some data that suggests that it is half, you know, and, and so, uh, you know, I guess, you know, when you think about, uh, you know, the, the main source, which is that, you know, those applies that organic flow that pumps in through the CRM that pumps in through the ATS, and you think about that getting pinched, um, you know, one of the things that, that I've heard you talk about is how important conversions are. And, I, and I've heard you talk, uh, you know, a little bit about this idea of apply to offer in five days. I think those are awesome. But but talk to me a little bit about, you know, A, um, you know, when, when you set this, um, you know, uh, um, demand schedule for 2023, do you feel good that you can actually meet it, you know, under the current market conditions? And if not, you know, what, what are some some tactics or strategies that you're pursuing to maybe supplement, you know, those holes that you see in the, the flow uh, of your of your operation? Yeah, that's that's a good question, Matt. So, you know, my level of confidence is purely based on the data. So the mm -hmm. data is telling me the story that says, yes, based on organic historical application flow, um, conversion rates, speed if we're able to keep this rate, I should see X. So having the analytics to help you feel more confident to say, yes, I understand the data. I understand the pipeline. I understand the funnel management. If we do this or if we increase by 5%, that should give me should be able to give me this goal. So uh, so I'll say it in a, couple, in a couple different pieces. So one, like talent attraction, when you look at the can organic candidate funnel getting pinched and mm -hmm. being more demand, lower supply. We all see it. It's been that way for the last couple of years and mm -hmm. it's not getting any better in, term of, in terms of specific clinical and nursing shortages. Um, what are you going to do? Mm -hmm. So 
using tools to resource, say, well, what markets am I going to try to attract from? Your nat natural organic pipeline where you're posting jobs in your local markets may not be enough. How are you strategically placing talent attraction, marketing, ads, campaigns in other markets? This is a national market mm -hmm. and it's a national competition. You know that. I know that, especially large systems. We all know that we're recruiting coast to coast mm -hmm. and internationally. Right. So you're not just looking in your own backyard, but you have to be able to track where are your hires come from, where are your applicants coming from, and where are there pockets of supply that you can go try to attract? If I'm in Florida, you might say historically, sure, you want to go to the Northeast. It's warm here in the winter. Right now it's December. It's still you know 74 degrees yeah. out right now. It's great. Everyone's shoveling their driveways in the Northeast. I want to say, come come on down to Florida, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, right. That, that's a strategic. It's not a new campaign. Sure. Florida's been doing that for a long time. But that's an example still. If you're not doing the homework to say, well, also California is really, really expensive to live still. Mm -hmm. I want to relocate people coast to coast. You might say it's too far. Historically, you didn't reach in that market. Well, now you are. Mm -hmm. Now we're mm -hmm. reaching into that market. Um, so you got to be got to be smart and strategic with where you're placing your talent attraction campaigns to expand your marketplace. If your regular organic backyard traffic isn't enough, mm -hmm. how do you grow your pipeline that way? Mm -hmm. I will lean on conversions to the other side. And I've, I've talked about this in different forums and you and I have had some chat that there's a lot of organizations that have talent coming through the organic pipelines that they are just not maximizing. Mm -hmm. And if you're not looking at the data, it's going to really be eye opening the first time you're able to get to it to say, mm -hmm. well, am I, am I converting half mm -hmm. of the candidates that apply and why you mm -hmm. have to understand the data? Is it, that they don't have the skill sets? Are they not culture fits? You know, is the talent acquisition team screening too heavily? Are the mm. recruiter, you know, are the hiring leaders being, being overly selective? So you really got to look at the conversions um, and that will help you take a better advantage of the supply you do have mm. in your organic traffic. And you will be very surprised if you can make that candidate experience quick, efficient and competitive um, then you're going to be able to increase your hires without additional marketing, additional dollars, out-of-state campaigns, mm -hmm. just with doing better with the talent you already have coming to you. So you have to look at that um, as as kind of a two-part window. Say, mm -hmm. can can I expand and you know can I capture on that? Yeah. So like the uh, the apply to to job offer in in five days is that kind of like a is that like a north star uh, for for you all? Uh, meaning like, hey, we, we would love the entire infrastructure to kind of be on that you know that journey, or is that a is that a deliverable that that exists inside of your ecosystem? Because I when I think about it, right, when I think about the volume that that you've got, when I think about all the different hiring managers and all the different opinions that you'd have on how to execute against that, I'm just so curious around you know, how that executes at scale. And, and again, is that something that is consistently delivered and, and can be consistently delivered? Because if it can, man, we, we all should be looking at how to do that, in my opinion. So it's a, it's a North star. It's a guiding light um, yeah. for us still. We're not there in every market um, across the system. We're in nine different States um, right now the more mature markets that have been on some of these pilot program models are achieving that. Mm -hmm. And so that's where the rollout and expansion of some of these centralized hiring models into direct hire models that are achieving that type of speed, mm -hmm. much higher conversions. And so far there's no negative correlation to turnover you know, or retention than 
now it's the implementation of those programs into, mm -hmm. into the other markets. So we're there in some places, not in all. There's not necessarily benchmarks across, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, uh, yeah. across the talent acquisition space in healthcare for this. So we're trying to set those I benchmarks on our own internally and give the marketplace something to shoot for. If we yeah. say this is what we think great looks like, um, we got to get it, get the whole system there first. Yeah. Um, but I'm confident that we can. What's it take? So like just I'm, I'm sitting there listening to, you know, these two guys ramble here today about, you know, various talent acquisitions. So what's it take to, to, to say like, Hey, Monday morning, I get an apply and I have an offer out the door by Friday. Like what just um, strategically does that take? Um, is there some key levers in there that somebody could take away and be like, all right, if I, if I wanted to do that, if I want to try that pilot, I got to find somebody that that's engaging with me on it. I've, I've got to, you know, shift the, who controls what I need some technology to do it. Like what, what, what's it take to actually convert that fast inside of these large corporate infrastructures? And that's the key restrictor. Like, Hey, if we're just staffing, like we can convert that fast all day long, but we get these mm -hmm. big corporate infrastructures. I'm just like, how do you do that? It's funny you say that, you know, in staffing, we could do that all day long. <laughs> all day but long. In the corporate side, why does it not feel that way? This large antiquated <laughs> process. Um, well, first point, it doesn't cost you anything mm -hmm. financially. So yeah. no monetary value. You don't need new tech. You don't need another system. You don't need to go through an RFP. The, the easiest piece, and I'll try to make it simple because I'm a simple-minded guy. So, it, so for me, it's trust with your decision makers. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you talk about, um, we've talked centralized hiring models and direct hire models. That's the maturity that we've gone through over really the, a three-year runway right now with changing that screening selection process. So in a nutshell, our clinical recruiters for some of our main markets are the ones making hiring decisions mm -hmm. themselves. There is no facility interface there's no um, screening and selection process that happens at the local level. It's all done from the talent acquisition mm. for what I would say are clear and obvious fits, mm -hmm. okay, based on the assessment that the recruiter has with the hiring leader, intake sessions and clinical evaluations. And all these things have been built over time to where our clinical leaders trust us. They've helped build the script for how we evaluate clinical competency as well mm -hmm. as culture fit and our other missions, mission set values is once a candidate applies, recruiter is able to make that determination on yes, are they a clear and obvious fit? To trust. That can take one to two days. So you mm -hmm. apply on a Monday in your example, I'm reaching out to you same day, our service level agreement, our expectation from our RN recruiters. We also try to optimize those requisition loads to say, well, our nursing recruiters, they have the time and capacity. They're not all sitting at 200 recs mm -hmm. a piece. They're sitting at 60 yep. recs a piece, 70 yep. recs a piece, which is still more than I'd like it to be and sure. where it was pre-COVID. But with pipelines being what they are, it's an easy to manage process where I know I can get to everybody within 24 hours. Mm -hmm. I'm going to set that connection. It's text messages, it's emails, it's phone calls, and it's a daily cadence. They know the urgency and they're trying every avenue they can to get in touch with that person for first contact. Mm -hmm. In that evaluation, they're going to be able to make a salary calculator, calculated offer. Mm -hmm. They're going to be able to make them and extend them an offer on the mm -hmm. same day in the same phone call to at least give that candidate the experience, say, we are committed to you. Now, mm -hmm. if the candidate wants to go through, they have three other jobs that they're considering. They want to go through a shadow. They want to go toward the facility. We'll help set that up. Mm -hmm. But you already have an offer mm -hmm. in hand. 
Mm-hmm. And that's where that one to five days, you know, is going to come in terms of that five day goal from application to offer acceptance um, to be to be met. So it, yeah. it's a trust that comes over time with the recruiter, the recruiter's competency to make that evaluation um, and our hiring leaders, you know, buy in to say, well, we know that we have trust, respect um, and an ownership with our talent acquisition team to be able to make those decisions. And not every hiring leader loved it. You know, you start at the executive yeah. level for programs like that. Most hiring managers are like, absolutely not. You know, you'd be laughed out of the executive yeah. room to say this, you know, years ago. But um, where we're at now is, yes, let's try it. And if we break it and it doesn't work, then we'll go back to something else. But let's, yeah. give, let's give it a shot. And I appreciate their flexibility, you know, in times that we're in right now to be able to make yeah. those types of adjustments. Sounds like a lot of like incubation pilots and then, you know, release out of, out of your shop. Um, I was talking to Katie uh, Beveridge at the uh, hospital, uh, uh, hospital sisters health system. Uh, she and I were at uh, TA leap and we missed you there. Um, yeah, she, she was talking uh, uh, just a little bit about some of their direct hiring uh, initiatives. And really at Leap, it was one of the things that really caught a lot of ev- a lot of the attention, a lot of dialogue there, um, you know, just about like our speed, our ability to impact and influence speed. So when you think about the things that we actually in talent acquisition have some pretty finite control over. Um, you know, that certainly is is one of them. And, and so she's very excited about some of the piloting and, and, and some of the work there that, that's going on. So shifting gears a little bit, um, you know, building out a, a an HR shared services model. OK, and, and knowing your background, knowing that you, you started at Aerotech, I started at Tech Systems. So I kind of allegiance group family, you know, so you get that base, you know, uh, how to recruit, how to communicate. You know, you, you get the feel of, you know, uh, whatever, 100 calls a day, 20 contacts, like whatever the measures are right there. You get that you get that pace. Uh, and uh, I think it's pound for pound best training that, that anybody could get coming out. Um, but you evolve up, right? You evolve up to now running this this shop, uh, you know, and, and and having these these uh, these responsibilities. When you think about your team and, and the assemblance of that team to to actually be um, and and Advents won a lot of awards um, for its talent acquisition efforts. I mean, you personally won some awards. What, what's that team look like? What are some of the skill sets that I need? to be successful running an HR shared services, uh, you know, model and, and really affecting uh, some of the positive change, uh, it sounds like, and I know that you've, uh, you know, uh, impacted at, at Advent. Some of the skill sets that, that it takes to be successful, and I'm glad, you know, you've talked about that allegiance upbringing, and I don't know a better one. It's where we came from, and, you know, I feel like it set us up for success, and I give kudos and credit to that organization and how their hiring models work. And you talk about looking for looking for a model for someone out of school to be able to develop. And, and I kind of look for the same thing, you know, mm-hmm. in, our, in our team members. And I'll talk about, you know, one of my proudest points in my leadership journey, especially with, with Advent, is focusing on professional development focusing on succession planning Mm -hmm. to where every one of my, I mean, I have almost 260 people on the talent acquisition team um, for Advent and every leader on this group, 
uh, has been promoted from within. So mm. when I got here almost seven years ago, there was 30 people on the team. Yeah. And as we've expanded and rolled out across the system, that's the size and expansion we've done. And every leader has been promoted from within. Yeah. So, you know, that professional development and succession planning will help make you successful, help be able to get those key relationships with those stakeholders to test pilots, to break things and then come back to it. So, the skill sets I look for, one one is work ethic, mm-hmm. right? So I, I have to have people that can move the needle and mm-hmm. people that have a certain level of intensity and competition because it is a competitive environment that we are in more so mm-hmm. than we've ever been. So it's a team game, talent acquisition, mm-hmm. but you own your own pipeline, you own your own recs, you own your own leaders. And so I need that individual competitive, strong work ethic you know, type of personality because that's, that's going to that's going to set the base and the foundation for mm-hmm. success. The next piece is I need team members and leaders who are coachable. We're mm-hmm. always learning new things. I mean, this, you know, an example, when we talk about podcasts and ones we listen to, the ones we speak to, this is, we're constantly learning, mm-hmm. right? And you, mm-hmm. and you have to be able to be coached. You're going to get real, you're going to get feedback in real time, week to week, day to day from the, from our leaders. And it's an expectation from mm-hmm. all team members that if you see something, you see an opportunity to help a team member and their approach and their negotiation skills and their executive presentation, whatever that might be, then mention it mm-hmm. and set time aside, make sure you de- deliver that coaching and feedback um, because it's always going to be you know constant to mm-hmm. those, to those team members. There's a certain amount of and hard to measure, but a certain amount of likability that mm-hmm. comes with building relationships. Relationships are key. It's a relationship-based business mm-hmm. um, with us and being able to find partnerships and get people to like you and respect you is an important part of the business mm-hmm. for us. And mm-hmm. if you can't win over those key stakeholders, and if you can't make connections and relationships with your own team as leaders, then you're not going to get that buy-in. Yeah. You're not going to have that that following and that fellowship built within your own within your own TA community um, that's going to be able to help you move the needle mm-hmm. when the time comes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you see all the pictures of, you know, a leader cracking the whip or a leader pulling the team from the front. And that's the mentality that we take mm-hmm. is, you know, I'll jump in. I will recruit. I will help negotiate. I will run through wrecks, whatever we have to do. And that's the kind of mindset that each one of our leaders yeah. Get has with those team members and why, not only succession planning and promotional opportunities and development, but we've had, you know, a 92, 93% retention rate, you know, across the entire team for NTA. years. NTA. That's awesome. You know, so man. kudos. No, you know, no, not, not to, not to glaze over. It's like, there's been, a, there's been movement in T over sure. the last couple of years since COVID. You talk about going fully remote virtual yeah. work and all these things. Um, there's been a little bit, you know, a little bit of turnover more than we were used to, but there are whole teams that haven't seen a change in recruiters and, three to five, five years, yeah, which yeah. is almost unheard of in the industry, you know, yeah. to have that. So, you know, that's another reason I think you keep that buy-in, you keep team members coming back, you give them coaching, you give them development and opportunity, then you're going to be able to execute on these initiatives and try some of these aggressive, you know, outlandish pilots, if you will, because you've been able to earn that respect. If you're turning yeah. over recruiters every six months, every eight months, every one year, and you're starting from scratch, to build momentum, to be able to get your team to an elite level, to win awards and, you know, see historical gains. It's going to be hard to do if you're turning over leadership and if you're turning over staff every six to nine months, um, you're never going to get there. Yeah. So, you know, let's, let's say that getting people right is, is a key thing that maybe has, you know, allowed, you know, your team 
um, you know, led by, you know, you and the senior leadership to, to be elite, um, you know, elite class. Uh, and, and again, I, I, uh, I've been, um, I've been in, in TA for the, you know, um, last 20 some years and certainly over the last, you know, five to eight, um, you know, Advent is always in the national conversation as an organization that's innovating and doing a lot of really cool things from, a, you know, how do we, how do we run these large, you know, uh, uh, systems? Uh, how do we deliver cost-effective yet innovative services and, and kind of trying to solve that? So let's say you get the team right. Well, what are some other things? Let's, you know, say a couple other things, like two other things, three other things that from your mind separates you know, an elite operation from maybe a good or an average operation? What, what are some things or dispositions that you'd say like, hey, this is what separates us, you know? And, and um, you know, I, I'm curious what you, do, what you think about that. All right. Well, I got, I got one for sure. Okay. So data, we're all data junkies. I think a lot mm-hmm. of us now in this, in this space that have been doing it for a length of time, you know, we, we rely on that. We have our own data team that reports mm. under the talent acquisition structure. NTA. So NTA. I have mm. multiple dedicated resources. It makes it hard to move the needle, to understand benchmarks, to compare when when you, if you don't have data, then you don't know where the hell you are. Mm. You know, am I good? Am I bad? Is this average? I'm not mm-hmm. sure mm-hmm. if you can't analyze and look at your data. So that's a big differentiation, I think, between us and where we're at in our journey is having our own dedicated analytics yeah. group that, we ask a question. I don't know how to get it, but they're going to go figure, figure it, out. it out. And we're going to test it, continue again, break things, say this works, this doesn't, in collaboration with our HRIS teams and our other analytics teams, our finance teams, to help connect the dots to say it's not just using like a data benchmarking um, you know, group that we've been using for years to say, well, here are benchmarks across talent acquisition, but we have data that's other groups in that community don't have either. This so is our data. Really measuring ourselves yeah. against ourselves yeah, yeah, in yeah. a way, but that that's fine. It's great yeah. because that's going to help you tell the story. Mm-hmm. It's going to help you make um, make a case to your executive team on why resources need to be different. It's going to mm-hmm. help you evaluate your tech stack better. Say, well, is this tool working? I'm getting things from the vendor, but I don't know how well it's impacting mm-hmm. the business. Just from their standpoint, you know, they want to say it's working and it's successful, but yeah. is it really, you know, and is it cost effective? So having your own analytics group is a luxury. I mm-hmm. realize that not every team has the ability to, but if you're going to say, if I'm going to fight for an additional one or two FTEs, fight for that play for that over one additional recruiter. Mm -hmm. Understanding all that data might help you change efficiencies within your process to where Mm -hmm. you don't need that extra recruiter Mm -hmm. because of X, Y, Z. So that's a, that's a big, a big difference. And uh, I'll, I'll say the secondary piece outside of own, having your own data, data analytics group within TA um, that at any beck and call, you can ask them for information and new Mm -hmm. dashboards, new tracking and Mm scorecards or whatever that might be. They'll go out and build it. It's an executive group that understands and prioritizes talent acquisition as one of the most important mm. functions uh, of the business. Not just an HR executive group. N- no, not just an HR. An executive and, group. And we've seen, you're talking, your, 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 your system executive team, your CEO mm-hmm. needs to know if people aren't the number one priority in your organization, then mm-hmm. nothing is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Bold statement. But they understand it. And I think the last three years have shined a light on it more than ever totally. in terms of importance for the people that this is not 
you know, a, a sustainable resource that you are, can plant trees and continue mm-hmm. to get, you know, the same product year after year, it's not working that way. Yeah. So if you're not investing into your people systems, if you're not investing into your talent acquisition, talent attraction teams, then you're not going to win in yeah. the place of business. There's a lot of organizations that you might see do consumer marketing and consumer brand really well. And we've had some tough conversations today. What what good does it do you to bring in more patients if you don't have hands to take care of them? Yeah. So yeah. if you're not partnering at the highest level to say people are your priority, recruitment is a priority, and that you're going to invest into the success of that team, mm-hmm. then that's going to tell me everything I need to know about why I'm still at Advent Health and I haven't moved to XYZ company over the last yeah. couple of years because I know I'm going to get that from my executive team here. I love that, man. So get, get your team right. Get get you know data, get analytics, kind of get that get that focused in on, uh, and then make sure you're working in an organization that values talent at a very high level, and, and that that enables you. That's the playing field that allows you then to apply your skills to to create a great. Uh, you know, you know, a great team. So that that's pretty exciting. Join hundreds of your healthcare TA peers and enjoy the benefits of a NACR membership today. Free educational webinars, access to our listserv, and discounts to your CHCR certification. All of this and much, much more for as low as $80 per person annually. Learn more at knacker.com. That's N-A-H-C-R.com. A couple more questions. We're at minute 35 here. I, I knew this one would go pretty quick. Um, and so it, it's feeling like it's going past pretty quick. But I want to get to a couple quick things here. And then, um, you know, we can we can put a pin in uh, what I imagine is episode one of a few here uh, between you and I. So um, forward looking into, you know, kind of 2023, uh, what, what are some things that you're excited about? What, what are some things that give you hope that, you know, back to the beginning of this conversation that you can maybe not only meet that demand plan, but that maybe you can exceed that demand plan. Is there some, is there some things that you're like, "Mm, I'm really excited about this as I rip into the new year? Yeah, probably one of the biggest exciting things I have going on for next year is the expansion of our transitional training programs. Mm. Um, so I, m- I mentioned a minute ago, you can't, you know, just plant your own nursing tree. Well, you, you might be able to a little bit, a, a, ver- a version of it. Mm-hmm. There are, there's such a focus on acute care staffing that I feel a lot of groups lose focus on what talent pools are in their local market for non-acute setting, you know, healthcare mm. systems. So. Okay medical groups and clinics and schools and prisons and skilled nursing and home health and hospice. So you talk about all these groups that are not standard into the acute care space, but there's a lot of talent in those markets. And Mm -hmm. there are a lot of talented professionals that want to come into the acute care space. Mm -hmm. So our central Florida market has the most mature training program that we've piloted. We've seen success. And, you know, we've seen long-term retention and engagement within those, um, within those, in those skill sets. Now it's going to expand to the other, you know, parts of the business. So hmm. the other eight states that are not running these programs are now going through discovery phases, planning phases, and potential implementation into next year. So I'm really excited and it helps boost my level of confidence to be able to hit those labor demand models mm-hmm. saying, if I can get 10%. Mm-hmm. We're at zero, so it's easy. You can only go up from here. But if I can get 10% from this new market that I have available supply in the marketplace, then we're going to be able to hit those numbers and then some. So mm-hmm. it gives me 
you know, it gives me a certain level of confidence and appreciation for the business. Say, well, they're going to invest into additional educators, additional preceptors, what that might be. It's an investment on the business, Mm -hmm. knowing that, yes, it's not always easy to get FTEs for any new role in especially a lot of, you know, fiscal responsibility as you're wrapping up this year. And a Mm -hmm. lot of health systems have spent an exorbitant amount of money in terms of contingent labor and staffing and premium labor more so than ever. Um, they're still investing in those funds because I can tell that story and say, mm-hmm. we're going to save X amount of dollars on the long, in the long run and not even long run. I mean, in the year, in a year to two years, mm-hmm. I can give me 3 million and I can save you 15. Mm-hmm. And right? so th- and this program, that, so that's I'm probably clear. my biggest exciting point. Uh, so this program, just so I'm clear, it, it's really enabling you to put more, you know, um, folks that maybe need some additional training or new training or whatever into the pipe. Like that's, a, it's basically allowing you more throughput. Is that, is that, is that an easy way to, to easy understand? way, Sim- yeah. simple as that. You have all these candidates that historically are getting rejected, mm-hmm. right? You know, it's like, I just work because of their core skill set. Exactly. You know, yeah. I'm a home health nurse and that's all I've done. And I'm applying for ICU historically mm-hmm. that person's getting yeah. rejected. Makes sense. Right? So now you can hire them. Yeah. One uh, one last kind of uh, forward-looking question. Um, well, what's your take on uh, the use of, um, and I'm going to use this term very specifically, uh, real AI? Uh, what's what's your what's your take on AI? Its usage in talent acquisition. You know, we're seeing you know laws come out from you know state of New York around you know interest in auditing and looking at ai in in the recruitment process but you just see more and more whether it's it, it's real ai some some good machine learning um, from stuff that i've looked at or it's people just marketing ai but you're seeing it bleed into our space you know do you have a point of view on that or or how it may or may not be useful kind of in our ecosystem you know there's there's a place for ai and mm-hmm. it is matured over the last several years to where I think there's some functionable, usable tech out there that will help streamline your TA process. Mm-hmm. With that being said, there's a lot of room to improve and mm-hmm. it is not, it is not a perfect system, no matter what program or what, you know, vendor is selling, you know, their, their product, there's a human element that right now in a short supply market space, think AI pitches a lot of times to lean out your pipeline and to get mm-hmm. you the best candidates first and to weed out talent. Right now, it's not a luxury to weed out talent. Mm-hmm. You know, right now, I think there needs to be a deeper evaluation that recruiters themselves, when you talk about like a training program, for instance, many AI tools would screen out that person mm-hmm. that doesn't have the acute care background easy, whether it's checklist, whether it's a bot, whether mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's going to try to lean that out for you. Or I need recruiters to say, yes, this person can be a viable resource and a potential candidate for the organization. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's there's pieces of it. We don't use what I would say very mature AI tools mm-hmm. at Advent, but it's not to say that I'm not still looking. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm still looking for the best AI tool. And there's a lot of them out there that I think conceptually sound really neat mm-hmm. um, and you know look great. But. I haven't seen a lot of other organizations with extreme move the needle, you know, movement and, and success with those mm-hmm. tools to say, is it worth the spend? 
Mm-hmm. And that's the other thing, you know, as I, man- as I manage, you know, our own budget to go, well, if this is a $1.5 million tool that says it's going to do all these things, what mm-hmm. else can I do with that $1.5 million? And is it going to get me the same return as this tool will? And yeah. I haven't gotten to that place yet. Um, for Advent. So I think there's room. I'm not giving up on it. I'm, I'm yeah. optimistic that there's going to continue to be growth in that space. Um, but it's not, it's not hugely utilized by RTA group. Today. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is a, um, it's very interesting and enticing. And I, you know, I think that we, we are in the same position as you are like, Hey, you know, if some of what is being sold, uh, is actually real, then man, like there's some really interesting ideas here that, that, I think serves as a really powerful assistant almost to a recruiter. Like I would never, and I'm like you, like you can't, you know, fully extract that recruiter out of the process. Um, you know, in, in, in my opinion, um, you know, maybe Amazon or you know Google or somebody feels differently about that. But for our, um, you know, type of uh, deployment here in healthcare, you know, I think that recruiter plays an extremely important role. Um, you know, and, and so it's like, how do I enable those recruiters to flow through process, um, you know, with, with more velocity associated with it? And so that, that's a interesting mixture when you think about the ATS and then all of the different bolt-ons that, that you are, you know, maybe trying to, to, to you know, uh, help those uh, recruiters out. And, and so I think to, you know, to the, to the point of, at some level, if it's not well thought out and not well engineered, you do run the risk of becoming less efficient out of the, you know, the, the particular deployment and uh, frustrating the recruiters by having them work out of multiple systems. You know, hey, I'm over here for this. Hey, I'm over here for that. Hey, I'm, and I, I'm just uh, I'm keeping these manual st- spreadsheets and you're basically driving me insane. You know, <laughs> and so, um, you know, it, it is a really interesting evolution in the market. And, and I uh, I'm excited based upon all of the capital that's been pointed at our our industry like i do feel like some things are going to pop that yeah. will um you know be uh, really beneficial for for the tech stack but but i'm like you it's kind of like yeah you know if i'm going to go to bat for that big investment man i got to make sure this thing really works and so we'll see who tips their toe in the water first uh, on that one so <laughs> Well said, Matt. Well yeah. said. But yes, I'll, I'll continue to be optimistic and we want to innovate yeah. and have progressive ideas. And so we'll try things, but at what expense and what cost yeah. and that's where the evaluation comes in. Last question, my friend, why healthcare? Why, why do you stick with it? Why, why do you, why do you like healthcare so much? For me, healthcare is something that everyone can relate to. And mm-hmm. I wasn't in healthcare predominantly before coming to Advent. And it really changed my mindset on what we're trying to do and what purpose we serve. Mm -hmm. Every single day, our talent acquisition teams are helping save somebody's life. I've spent some time in our facilities. I've had children at our facilities. I've Mm -hmm. had parents go to our facilities. This is our community, your Mm -hmm. neighbors, your, your coworkers, your peers. These are the services that we want to be able to provide for each other. So I think it's a more meaningful process than it is, you know, in, in my manufacturing days, building a widget mm-hmm. or finding, you know, a, a welder, a machinist or something. It's like those, those are purposeful roles and nothing against it. But I feel like you're really delivering something to the human element and to the community within healthcare. Um, and that's where, you know, people come first. Yeah. And that's why I stay in healthcare today. It's beautiful, man. We appreciate you know your your uh, attention here today, getting on and sharing your wisdom and, and your knowledge, and uh, 
you know, keep going, man. I, you know, I, I, I love listening to you speak and, and just the clarity to which you've got, um, you know, a, a vision on how to, how to scale these, uh, uh operations. It, it's hard work and, you know, and so, uh, appreciate that very much. If folks want to, uh, engage with you or would like to learn more about, you know, whatever we talked about today, is there, is there a best way for them to get in touch with you? Yeah, I mean, follow, follow me on LinkedIn. I'm a very avid poster, as you know, Matt. Uh, I'm traveling around the country, spreading the gospel of Advent Health, the gospel yeah. of talent acquisition. Okay. Um, so whether it's podcasts or conferences or you know our own internal Advent Health shares, you know, I'm on it a lot. So connect yeah. with me on LinkedIn is the best way. Uh, Colin.Lyle at AdventHealth.com. Shoot me a note. You want to reach yeah. out to me? You want to learn best practices? You have a conference you're coming to in Orlando, and you want to grab a coffee? Um, just reach out to yeah. me anytime, but I'm happy to collaborate. It's these networks that I think keep us sharp, Matt. I enjoy yeah. listening to you and hearing the things that you're doing. Um, and the more people give themselves an opportunity to get that, the more they're going to get out of it. Yeah. So, um, yeah. so I appreciate you having me today. It's been fun. And yeah, I think uh, we'll need to get session two on the books yeah, uh, sooner than later. For sure. That's what I love about healthcare is the collaboration. And, and it's a very, uh, you know, hey, we, we compete against each other in certain markets or whatever. But, you know, the, this, uh, you know, uh, education focus, this collaboration is, is a ton of fun. And so I hey, appreciate you coming on the show today. And uh, Colin, we'll be in touch soon. Sounds good, Matt. Appreciate yeah. you. All right. We want to thank you for listening to TA in the Trenches. We are produced by Iron Mike and his team at Ironbound Media. Keep up the great work, team. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform and check out all of our episodes at knacker.com. That's N-A-H-C-R.com. You also can find me out on LinkedIn where you'll find quick show riffs. Feel free to ping me. I always respond. Bye for now.